the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. We appreciate you joining us on the program. And if ever one of your questions should be on this show, all you have to do is email it to us. Ask at WBAA.org is the address. You can tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter as well. Well, I, uh, I noticed that, speaking of Twitter, you were, you were very careful in how you tweeted about the uh, football game last Saturday, noting that people should just go and have a look at Google Maps. Someone had fairly sardonically changed the name of ross Aid Stadium. I don't even know how you could do that on Google Maps to, to Nutcracker Stadium, referencing the win over the Ohio State Buckeyes, which, of course, are represented by a nut. Um, do you have to be careful in situations like that, especially if it's with another Big Ten university, not to look like you're like trolling them? Honest answer is I'm really, really careful about Twitter, period. I, uh, look at everything to make sure, first of all, no... Uh, typing mistakes, but more important, uh, uh, not saying anything that could be misunderstood or misconstrued or uh, reflect badly on uh, the university. Uh, but uh, shucks, uh, I, I was just directing folk to something that was out there that they might otherwise not have seen, and uh, uh, I have no idea, of course, either who or how uh, it was done, but it was pretty clever. I would think even a devoted Buckeye I would have to agree that was showed a little bit of imagination on someone's part. I don't. I have no idea. I've asked some of our our IT folks, and they're not clear. It could be a Purdue alum that works for Google. Maybe it's some. Uh, for all I know, it's some uh, uh, freshman uh, uh, genius uh, who hacked in. But uh, whoever it was had had a sense of humor, and and I hope that uh, folks uh, in uh, in Ohio do too. Did you get any response from anybody affiliated with Ohio State about your tweet? <laughs> no, I didn't. Uh, not at all. Maybe it's coming, but uh, like, like I say, uh, uh, I thought that was pretty innocent, all things considered. On to other things. Uh, you wrote in the Washington Post recently in your, your column that your family is urging you to give up your motorcycles, and uh, one of which you said you've already gotten rid of, but you, you told a, a fairly fun-to-read story about how you were very close to giving up the other one, and the trailer was right there, and then you just decided you couldn't do it, and then you said you had to walk back in the house and establish your alibi for the five Daniels women. What did you do? <laughs> I just couldn't pull the trigger. It, it's a uh, everybody must have some uh, item that's a sentimental value. This one is. Uh, it um, was I allowed it to be repainted uh, after I was elected governor um, uh, by uh, the, the Motorcycle Safety Association. Uh, uh, had a young man, a member who does this for a living, and he put a wonderful custom paint job on it. Looks like the Indiana state flag. So. Um, I wasn't going to sell it. I was going to donate it to a collection. And at, at the last instant, I just couldn't uh, bring myself to do it. What was the, the response from the ladies in your life when they found out that it happened? Uh, well, they uh, they renewed. Let's just say they renewed their lobbying campaign. But uh, they're they're uh, putting up with me a little. I had a little fun with this uh, uh, earlier. Well, I guess it was last week. Um, I, I went out and uh, uh, raced elect our electric cars that our student engineers build and, and race competitively against other schools. And uh, I sent a tape of that that they made uh, to my girls. And um, daughter number one wrote back and said, I said, if I can't ride motorcycles, how about this? You know. And um, daughter number one wrote back and said, 
I feel that this is things are going in a counterproductive direction. It's so. a very very well put <laughs> yeah. way of, of saying that. Well, what, well, what is? I'm I'm curious uh, not to spend too much time on this, but I'm curious to spend to to spend a second on why have they been lobbying you that this is the case that they that they don't want to see you riding the motorcycle because it's it's become part of your ethos. It's something yeah. you've become known for. Well, I have done it um, uh, for decades and. Uh, no safety, and they have a point, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I feel that I ride just as safely as ever, but, of course, it's not entirely within your control, even if you're the most most cautious and seasoned of of riders, so they they, uh, they mean absolutely for the best, and they're going to win um, at some stage, and maybe, uh, maybe fairly soon. You know, the point I was really, I just used it as a point of departure. The real point of this article, as you saw, was that... Um, one thing of, um, among many that I've always liked about that hobby is you meet every kind of person, and you can't even tell who's who. Uh, and and there just aren't enough things left in life that bring people together uh, across all sorts of uh, you know economic and levels and social backgrounds and so forth. And and motorcycle riding is one of those. And uh, and I uh, I I. You've heard me encourage our students before not to drift into a bubble or into a, a socioeconomic cluster where they, they really lose touch and empathy with people who are different. And so that was – I just used the, what I think is kind of a fun uh, – debate inside our family to get to that point. I want to ask more about that in a second, but I wanted to ask one more question about this. Has the conversation within your own family changed at all since Tim Brown, the House Ways and Means chairman, had a a bad motorcycle accident up in Michigan? He's still in a hospital there to this day as we tape uh, a kind of uncertain time frame for his recovery. Somebody you obviously know well. Has, Has that affected the discussion in your own family at all? I wish I could say that's the only incident that involves someone we know or um, or or knew of, and uh, there've been a few, um, and uh, uh, lost a, 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 another very good friend um, first of this year. Uh, uh, lost his life um, motorcycling in South Africa, and um, so yes, this uh, the, the these events, these sad events are uh, called into evidence by the prosecution. On to what you were just talking about. You had an interesting conversation with Ezra Klein, who's a liberal podcaster, and Ben Dominic, who's a conservative podcaster. You had them both on stage as part of the Giant Leaps series. And I wanted to ask you just about one thing that was brought up. And Ezra talked about herd behavior, and he used it in talking about journalists. And he's absolutely right. This totally happens Journalists write about things that they already know people are talking about, and so you get a little bit of an echo chamber effect. Journalists have, of course, long and in some cases fairly been criticized for writing for other journalists rather than writing for the people they are supposed to serve. You have talked about reducing tribalism in America. It was part of your commencement speech this past year, which clearly seems to be a cousin of and maybe a cause of herd journalism. So I wondered, is there a way that Purdue can become a place where people who don't want to follow the herd wind up, understanding that if you get enough of those people together, you have your own herd? But we'll put that aside for a second. And I ask because I've worked on this campus and I worked at Indiana University for five years, and I find them to be different. I, you, you will hear the phrase, a blue dot and a sea of red trotted out a lot on the IU campus. They are very proud 
of being super liberal in Bloomington and at IU, and that, of course, is their right. Around here, it's a little more 50-50 based on the campus and based on the two cities that have different ways of interacting with each other and, and attract different groups of people. So this seems to be a good little crucible where you could put together that type of free speech, listen to the other side, which, of course, was the point of your talk with Ben and Ezra in the first place. Is there a way that that you can use this platform to to make people understand that it's okay sometimes to go against the herd. It's okay to to go your own way, and perhaps that's even the successful way to go. That's a big and very important question. Let me see how um, best to answer it concisely. So you have noted, and we've talked about, and Purdue has um, one of the most um, uh, unequivocal stances on behalf of freedom of speech, which translates into or should translate into diversity of opinion of, of any school around. We're, we're um, described that way and frequently commented on when people uh, worry about groupthink and, and uh, enforced conformity of thought on campuses, which is a sad fact of life on too many, on too many campuses. So that reputation, yes, might attract people. I guess I do. I hear from now and then from students or parents who say, "I want to go to a place where I don't. I'm not going to feel like I'm being indoctrinated, where I don't feel like I'm uh, intimidated about um, uh, taking a point of view that's uh, that's different than somebody else in the room." Um, and if, that'd be fine um, because you know this is where. Um, I, I wish all of higher ed was. I wish every place was it was uh, was uh, committed to diversity of viewpoint, and certainly was uh, open and protective of the right of people to uh, think different thoughts and ask challenging questions and so forth. You know, I did think those two fellows did a great job that night in general. It was, I hope, a little demonstration of the collision of opposing viewpoints, but you saw them do it in a way that was mutually respectful, even jocular once in a while. And um, and I thought Ezra was making a very uh, interesting point, just to finish on this. I think I had posed the question, as many people have, um, do, do today's especially digital journalists, these are two guys who started in print journalism and migrated to the uh, new medium, um, Many people worry that in the pursuit of clicks, which is to say uh, favorable reaction, people will play more and more and more to a narrow gallery. And Ezra had an interesting uh, twist on that uh, in saying that he thought it was more a matter of this herd mentality you're talking about, the the reporter sort of uh, going where he thought the people already were. Taking a tiny little bit of data and extrapolating, perhaps yeah. in the wrong way. Yeah, so that was a very interesting uh, uh, perspective that he had. But uh, coming back to, to the main point, yes, there clearly is a, a spectrum of uh, of, of uh, heterogeneity um, across higher ed and on this issue. And uh, I'm glad if Purdue is, is toward the end, which is most um, – um, visibly, um, a, a a place of open inquiry and 
and free debate. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Email your questions to ask at WBAA.org. Tweet them at WBAA News on Twitter, and we'll be sure to get them on next month's show. So the day before you and I taped this interview, there was an email that went out from the school's treasurer and chief financial officer, Bill Sullivan, saying that the plan that had been announced not to cover the insurance costs of spouses of Purdue employees who were not themselves employed by Purdue and whose employers offered at least a 50 percent premium payment, uh, those there was a plan to not cover those folks that has at least for the moment been put on hold Tell me the thought process over the last week, week and a half that went from announcing that to deciding to, for the moment, go back on it. I would describe it as second thoughts about process, not about substance particularly. Uh, the process was flawed in uh, in two ways. One, although there had been some um, preview of this, uh, the HR people could point to a document or two which said to our our. Uh, colleagues uh, were looking at this, but it didn't go into any detail, and it really hadn't been adequately um, re- publicized. Yes, and and explained. And then, secondly, um, we were we were given and and didn't uh, uh, success didn't challenge early enough a slightly different uh, set of facts than we found in terms of pattern in the marketplace now. Uh, in other words, uh, this is a fast-growing trend. That is, companies are saying, hey, if, if you've got other insurance, you got to use that. We're not going to pay for dollars that some other employer really should be paying. Uh, but uh, it's a mixed picture. It's not quite as much the – we're not quite as much an outlier as, as as we thought Purdue was. So there were two things, at least, about the process that Bill said, hey, on second thought, let's let's – Hit the pause button on this, and we we will. Now, uh, now, now term- it's interesting how you describe it. You describe it as the pause button yeah. and not stopping this. Yeah, Does that's that mean right. you think it's eventually going to happen? I think it probably is event- is going to happen at some point, and probably should. Now, let's just go through it. First of all, Purdue has, and it would would have been the same even with this uh, if this change had gone into effect, even after the recent changes, and if including this one, if it, we hadn't stopped it. Uh, by far the best health care plan around here. We are the, by far the most competitive. Um, uh, many of the local major corporations, uh, for the, first of all, their average premiums are about $1,500 higher than ours. They have higher uh, deductibles and higher total maximums. And our plan, and we want it this way, is superior, and it isn't even close. That's number one. Number two, everybody should remember, every dollar that goes into health benefits is your is in your compensation. If we didn't spend it there, it would be available for your paycheck. Um, and, uh, you know, this is just one uh, uh, pie that we're, that we're uh, talking about. And when health care claims more, it squeezes our ability to do what we'd like to do in terms of, of higher salaries. Can I ask about that for a second? Because I, I think that has been positioned a little bit as sort of a zero-sum game, that it's either – uh, in terms of compensation, it's either money in your salary or benefits that come elsewhere. But, of course, the pie that you're talking about is a much larger pie for the university's budget. There are many, many different line items that one goes up, the other goes down, and it all kind of balances together. So uh, is it a little bit more con- is it a little bit more complicated than that in terms of where the money can come and go? 
Not really. You know, in, in our case, we're not a manufacturing company, for instance. Two-thirds or more of our entire budget is for people. And so this deciding how much we can grow that is the single biggest decision in an expense uh, in any budget uh, uh, decision process. And um, it's pretty much the case that we, it can grow a certain amount and not more if we want to continue to do other things around here. And then the more that health care swallows, uh, the, the less we have the just for salaries and wages. So – um, uh, that needs to never be lost sight of. And then third, um, I just don't see any good reason we should subsidize our local neighbors. We're, we're, we love our neighbors and these other companies. Thank goodness they're here. They're good for the local economy, which is good for Purdue. But there's no particular reason that uh, we should spend, and we do, millions of dollars that really ought to be paid by their health plan if, if – um, uh, if if people who have access to that coverage uh, were using it, so all right. So so, so anyway, let, we uh, let me pose one one reason why that would be an okay thing to do. Um, people have argued that one of the things you're doing when you're recruiting somebody learned to come and be a part of the university is you're not just recruiting the person; you are indeed recruiting their family, who will uh, possibly work at the university themselves, who will add to the diversity and and, and grow the community around you. And so, if you can offer this as a familial health benefit that covers everybody, doesn't it benefit you to spend a little bit of extra money to say, we are going to treat not just you, the Purdue employee, well, but indeed treat your 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 family well? Because I think you accurately described Purdue has fabulous benefits where this is concerned, and it should be one of the things that you use to help recruit people to come work, live, and play here. I said we uh, uh, want to remain the, the, the leader in our marketplace in this area. But they're just simply matters of degree. And yes, uh, I can imagine, I can't point to one, but I could imagine that this would be a sort of tiebreaker somehow in some some recruitment decision. Can't say that never uh, has happened. But I don't think it justifies the millions of dollars that, as I say, we're we're spending to subsidize uh, profitable companies who are who are our neighbors. Speaking of uh, money the the university spends on things, I wanted to ask you something about Purdue Global. I've heard some concern from a couple of people who have come to me from different corners of the university and said, hey, we're looking at the marketing budget for Purdue Global, and you've talked about this, the fact that Purdue Global is marketing on ESPN during high-profile football games and things like that, stuff that, that costs a lot of money. And there's something like $100 million that's being spent on a marketing budget to get Purdue Global's name out there, which is completely understandable in a certain way. You've just done this deal. You need to get the name out there. You're competing against big entities that are already out there in this online space. So, But there are some people on campus who say, well, hey, look, I work in the, the Cranert School of Management or something like that, and I have a budget of a couple hundred thousand dollars, and I'm marketing a business program that's very similar in some ways to what people, and we should say not just 18 to 22-year-olds, but people who are elsewhere in their lives who might be choosing in some ways between Purdue Global or a more traditional Cranert program or something like that. And there are some folks who are worried they're getting a little trampled on by the huge marketing budget that Purdue Global has. How are you addressing those concerns? Oh, they shouldn't worry about that. The uh, In the first place, uh, we uh, it's not as though we don't market Purdue in other ways. Our, our football team, for instance, 
uh, earned tens of millions of dollars of attention for us with a spectacular performance uh, against the highest state. And our athletic department, in various ways, just to take one other example, um, uh, keeps uh, and produces name in front of the American public in a lot of ways. Secondly, and you, uh, as you just mentioned, Purdue Global is aiming at a very different demographic, the working adult, uh, there, now, uh, than, than what we uh, look at here. Now, we have said over and over, there are a couple of programs, but there are only a couple, where there right now is some overlap, and we're going to disentangle that, where we're offering similar degrees, but there aren't many. Um, and uh, uh, But that's that has nothing to do with the marketing budget. By the way, that marketing budget is spreading Purdue's name in a way that's got to be helpful. We'll see it. I don't doubt later on in more inquiries about other things, including maybe uh, applications. Is it the kind of thing where you have to spend a lot of money up front to get the name out there and to understand that this is an entity, but that number, that $100 million that's been so talked about, is potentially going to go down over time yeah. once you are acknowledged as being part of this market? Yeah, it will. I mean, first of all, hundreds too much, but it's a big number. But yes, they're, they're trying to create a brand new uh, name in the marketplace. And uh, that that's always going to be bigger at the front end. And so uh, how do you talk about that disentanglement with the people on campus who are worried about it? Because there are some folks who I've talked to who say, hey, we're not sure if our jobs are going to exist uh, because Purdue Global, with this giant marketing budget, might have the ability to draw in more people. No, they're going to be they're, these degrees will be of, of interest ultimately to different um, to different uh, 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 demographic groups, uh, very different. Uh, they ought to spend more time worrying about getting the content of our programs up to a good competitive level, which is, which in most cases, I'm not going to single out any one right now. I'm just going to say, and I've said this to the folks who have been working on our fledgling online, and I'm going to describe it that way, efforts on campus. If you add up all the students we have in online programs, it's very, very small compared to what other schools are doing. We've got catching up to do. And the quality is not what it ought to be to first attract and then to um, retain and satisfy those students. So that's where the energy ought to go. We get a really good quality product out there with Purdue's name on it uh, out of uh, any of our colleges here, and we'll go find a market for that, and it won't be interfered with by global uh, reaching out as it does to uh, principally to uh, working adults who didn't finish a degree. On to other things, we've talked a couple of times on this program over the last few years about the at-risk pay that the trustees vote on for you on a yearly basis. This year was the first year they gave you a 100% rating where you got every dollar that was possible to get. Uh, you're kind of smiling and kind of grimacing a little bit over there. What do you make of, of that notion that, that you got yeah. that 100%? Well, first, I wouldn't say they did it. The formula, it's very formulaic, as as you know. And the formula worked out. In the past, it's been ranged from, I can't even remember now, 88 to 96 or something. Um, by the way, it's not the, as much as it could be. There's in, in each of the categories in that formula, there's a target. But you can exceed it, and, and uh, you know, it could have run up to something more than it did. I was... Uh, uh, a bothered day. The truth, when it 
when the machine stopped whirring and it came out at 100, I said, oh, no, because people will misinterpret that. They'll think it's like an A-plus. A+. It isn't, you know. Uh, um, I said, can't you round it down to 99? Um, but uh, that's just what the formula produced. You know, I came up short in areas like uh, freshman retention. We were awfully good, but it was a we keep we raise the bar in these categories every year. And so the fact that we do as well as last year usually puts you in the low bucket. And uh, so there were things like research productivity. We set records, but not at, we didn't hit the threshold that the formula uh, called for as a target, let alone uh, exceed it. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I sincerely wish it had come out 99, 98, 90-something, so that uh, people wouldn't misunderstand what it is. But uh, on the other hand, uh, we do think that we're, we've set a good example um, by having a, a, a big, big piece of, of the compensation for this job, performance-based and objective. It's not a bunch of folks sitting around trying to decide how much we like or don't like the person uh, in, in, the, in the job. And, uh, well, and the other thing about having the 100% is it causes no, nosy journalists like me to keep asking you about it. So can I make a small request of this? Sure. Um, you were a couple of years ago when we talked about this. I did some reporting that showed that a very small percentage of your total compensation was actually at risk. Would it be po- – because there's, you know, the bonus every year that you get June 30th if you're still president of the university, which was a separate thing the trustees did, and that's fine. Can we change the name on this? I understand why it was called at risk at the first. Can we call it a merit bonus or something like that? To Because I, 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 the reason I ask is I wonder if there was any consideration that there are there are people, of course, lots of people on the campus who live paycheck to paycheck and, and work very hard. And if they see that this is this is considered at risk, do you think there's a possibility that somebody could say, well, look, Mr. President, really, we're the ones who are who are at risk if we don't have this paycheck because we need to pay our heating bills and our water bills and things like that. This is a bonus for you. You were already getting a fair amount of salary. Is it worth changing the wording around this so that it looks differently? I actually think that would be to distort the meaning. I mean, it is – if you set aside for a moment the retention thing that they put in there – you know, um, if you just look at the compensation, which is in the middle to the bottom half of the Big Ten, by the way, just fine with me, um, dramatically less than, let's say, our good friends at IU and places like that. But this is an important principle. It's about a third, you know, I mean, it's about a third of the compensation. Uh, and uh, it is at risk, and every year until this year, I, there was some piece of that salary I did not get, and that's exactly the way I want it, and the board wants it. And I, and again, every year we raise the bar on on these categories of of research uh, and reputation, of uh, student affordability, of fundraising, and so forth. And um, it's a very important principle. And so it it doesn't belie anything you said. Very sensitive to the fact that we we want to compensate our folks as well as as we can around here. But that's a completely different subject from should people in positions of of high responsibility, and we've 
use this principle on as many other people as we could so uh, around here now uh, should be tested against objective criteria did did you or the unit you're responsible for perform at a very high level and there if if you came up short in some way there's a little bit there's some kind of consequence of that so i I think that I think that terminology is much better than calling it a bonus. Okay. Well, Mr. President, thanks as always for your time. That's all the uh, time we've got on the program this month, and uh, we'll do it again in November. Can this I hit- tell you one more thing? Sure. Real, real quick. Well, back to your original question. I looked, and since the, in this century, there, in ross Stadium, we are 5-3 and three against Ohio State, <laughs> and there may not be another stadium in the country that qualifies for that funny name somebody gave it. All right. Not to troll Ohio State at all. <laughs> This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Thanks so much for listening, and have a good rest of your day. Support for the monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels comes from Purdue University Press, publishing global scholarship and popular regional work since 1960, and featuring the fifth edition of Creating Moments of Joy along the Alzheimer's journey, now available. More at thepress.purdue.edu.